Thanks for joining us here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look into the big issues and people shaping our communities and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with Jeff Simmons. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Celeste. How are you doing today? Good. Glad to be here with you. As always, lots going on, lots for us to talk about today. And we have some really great guests coming up. So I'm very excited for that. Um, but yeah, we just take a look at some of the uh, international headlines, certainly a lot going on in the Middle East right now. But uh, taking a look at what's going on here at home, uh, obviously, the big news or one of the big news stories, State Attorney General Letitia James now says she's looking into the Trump organization in a, quote, criminal capacity, unquote, uh, her office now teaming up with that of Manhattan DA Cy Vance, who has been investigating the former president's business activities, including potential insurance fraud, issues related to taxes and banking. Now, Jeff, this is interesting for a lot of reasons. One of them is, you know, just on the basis, on the face of it, it's really unusual for these two law enforcement agencies to work together on this kind of investigation. Usually they're kind of you know, competitive. Agreed on that. You know, this was amazing news to read. And also, Celeste, put this in other context, too, depending on how long something like this goes on. We have a DA's race to replace Cy Vance. So that's one of the things I'm sure that all of his potential successors are going to be asked about in the coming days, how they would proceed here. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, we should say that former President has Trump and says this whole thing is a politically engineered witch hunt and, uh, you know, is not is not too impressed. But uh, no surprises there, certainly. And it looks like this has been going on for quite a while, actually. Uh, you know, it seems that uh, the Daily News, uh, among others, has reported that uh, Letitia James's office has actually, you know, been looking into uh, potential criminal activity for uh, longer than just this uh, this recent statement. Uh, speaking Speaking of Trump-related investigations, the House has voted to set up an independent commission to look at the January 6th insurrection slash riot at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, dozens of Republicans did vote with Democrats to launch that commission to look into the attack on the Capitol, which occurred as Congress was attempting to certify Joe Biden's victory in the Electoral College. Not clear whether the Senate is going to go along with this, though. And the other news today... This, uh, I don't know if this happened overnight or last night. I just know I woke up to reading the latest news out of the Washington Post. Once again, Governor Cuomo in the news. The investigation has, you know, strengthened, uh, according to the Washington Post into the, uh, into the COVID testing that his family members were able to get. Uh, you know, uh, this has been out there before, but it feels like this investigation has been stepping up, Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the other the sort of uh, a lot of storylines here all uh, intermingled. Uh, Washington Post also reporting that Chris Cuomo, the governor's brother and, of course, the uh, CNN uh, news uh, anchor, uh, was involved in some private conversations about how the governor should respond to sexual misconduct allegations against him. And uh, some of those reports saying that Chris Cuomo urged the governor to fight back, to not resign. And uh, one quote that, uh, you know, was very, uh, very pithy there was uh, Nick Lemon, a New Yorker staff writer, teaches at Columbia J School as well. He just said it's, quote, not okay to uh, for, for uh, Chris Cuomo to be advising a politician, uh, in you know, who's in trouble when you're an on-air news host. And certainly, Jeff, we've seen uh, some questions about uh, the, the Cuomo brothers uh, act. It was sort of a, almost like a vaudeville thing. People really enjoyed it during the pandemic. But at the same time, it's like, you are interviewing your own family member. Where do you draw that line? I agree. And I know, Celeste, that you and I both, given our backgrounds, especially you're still a working journalist. I am still, you know, I'm a PR guy, but a former journalist. I love having the show, but I'm not going to be offering politicians advice on our show. We're going to ask them questions that might help them come up with, you know, a new approach. But we're not going to say, here's what you should be doing. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, uh, going into our program, very excited here, but lots of big changes going on in the city related to COVID-19 beyond the uh, Cuomo storyline. Mask restrictions starting to lift, fewer requirements for covering your face indoors and outdoors, businesses starting to uh, ramp back up to full capacity operation with people who are vaccinated. So just a reminder, get vaccinated if you have not already. The vaccine is now wide available. So it's going to be interesting, Jeff, to see, you know, what happens to the city next, right? 
And I agree. And that's what everyone's been asking all of the mayoral candidates, because we've got the June 22nd Democratic primary coming up. And that brings us to our first guest today, mayoral candidate Catherine Garcia. She's running for mayor on a track record. That includes having been the 43rd City Sanitation Commissioner, which figures prominently into her platforms on not only keeping the city clean, but protecting the environment. She was the Department of Environmental Protection's incident commander during Superstorm Sandy. She helped NYCHA address lead poisoning in children. And during the pandemic, she ran an emergency food program that brought more than 130 uh, meals. I believe it's probably more than that million meals to New Yorkers in need. I thought I had that typed wrong. Now now she wants to bring those experiences and others to bear as our next mayor. Catherine Garcia, welcome to WBAI. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So we just gave a thumbnail bio, but of course there's lots more for New Yorkers to know about you and other candidates for mayor. What should our listeners know about you that sets you apart from others in this race? You know, I am a lifelong New Yorker, and I deeply love this city. And we are going to face some challenges with the recovery, making sure that everyone is able to get back to work. I am thrilled that masks are being lifted across the country as people get vaccinated. But we know that we still have 500,000 people out of work in the city of New York. I have a real vision for how we support small businesses to bring them back, but, you know, This is the place that I grew up with uh, my four siblings, three of us who were adopted and two of them were black and was educated in the city's public school systems and chose to raise my family here. I want everyone to have a livable, affordable New York City so that their children and their grandchildren can really thrive. So, Commissioner, thanks for joining us here on the program. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, you know, I was I was interested. I ended up uh, sort of unrelatedly, but I ended up being one of the analysts that was watching the debate for the uh, the sort of New York Times scorecard. We know that separately from that, you have received the endorsement of the New York Times. Um, one thing that's been interesting to me in this race is that you have really, really focused very strongly on uh, you know sort of practical matters, results, outcomes, and so on. So some of the other candidates are offering kind of a, a more ideological approach, sort of a, a big picture, a vision for the city. Uh, you know, how do you uh, sell your practical experience to people who are uh, maybe considering even in local elections voting on big issues like uh, sort of equality or, you know, with things that are, are a little bit harder to pin down than uh, making sure that the, the streets are clean and the, uh, the trains are running well and, and uh, the schools are functioning? The most radical progressive thing to do is make government actually work for everybody and having a vision of equality that transforms how we educate our children, how we make sure that we are treating police as a service for every neighborhood, regardless of the color of your skin. Getting the nuts and bolts right makes it so that you can do the really visionary stuff. And I want to stay on that. I'm glad that you brought up uh, policing issues because we do have some questions. And I know that uh, WBAI listeners are very interested in uh, matters of the NYPD and policing. Uh, Your law enforcement platform includes measures like increasing community policing, zero tolerance for police misconduct. What do you say to voters, though, who are looking for much more radical change when it comes to the NYPD, uh, if not full on, quote unquote, defund the police, but closer to that end of the spectrum? Crime is rising right now in the city of New York. We have to deal with that current reality and build a real society that deals with the underlying drivers of crime, which is one of the reasons why I came out with my foster care plan. These are our most vulnerable children, and when we don't do right by them, they are 50% more likely to be involved in the criminal justice system. You know, I stood with them yesterday because what do they want? Coaches, mentors, as they are aging out of the system. And we also need to be focusing on finding forever families. These are the right investments to be making for the future, but we also need to make sure that we are dealing with the current uptick in crime today. 
and that is why I have a plan that is about real culture change in the NYPD, uh, about making sure that regardless of the color of your skin, that you are treated with respect. Uh, and we hold police officers accountable for that and measure it. Uh, but we also need to get our, the guns off our streets, working with our federal partners, making sure that the DAs are expediting those cases so that we save lives. If you're just joining us, this is WBAI's Driving Forces. Celeste and Jeff here. We are speaking with candidate for mayor Catherine Garcia. And uh, just one more question, and then I'm going to give Jeff a chance to jump in here. But I was reading a recent Q&A with you where you were talking about uh, policing, law enforcement, and community. And you were asked if the NYPD is structurally racist. And your response, as they presented it, was that you said it was racially charged, quote-unquote, in relation to specifically to how officers are trained to do their work and perceive the people they're protecting. So when you were asked if the NYPD is structurally racist, was that a yes or a no answer? And can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. This is about changing fundamentally how we think about police. This is about changing the relationship with communities so that communities feel as if the police are part of them and they're to protect them. Uh, and that's not how we train now. Uh, and having our training really change and having also how our tactics change. You know, for example, during the height of the protest last summer, I was out there. Kettling doesn't work. Uh, that is a tactic that's been used. We need to step back and make sure we are thinking about public safety in a completely new way. But that doesn't exclude police. It transforms police. So I want to jump in here. Thank you, for Celeste, uh, for giving me a moment here. No, <laughs> but uh, what I do want to bring up is I watched Celeste was off last uh, Thursday, but she was still watching the debate and analyzing the debate on her day off. But for me, you know, it was a very different atmosphere, having been backstage for debates with candidates before. The next debate on June 2nd is at this point, unless you have more up to date information, is still supposed to be virtual. This has received a lot lot of pushback what do you know what do you think should happen and you know we're at a, a moment where we're reopening where we're being told we don't have to wear masks everywhere so what do you make of the decision what should happen with the next debate it is ridiculous that we are looking at a virtual debate voters need to see us interact side by side you know the technology just isn't great for interacting with your candidates and really getting into the nitty-gritty uh, it just doesn't even pick up the audio all the time. Um, the, all of the candidates are vaccinated. All of us want to be in person. Uh, you know, if you had to put it in a tent outside, if that made people feel more, more comfortable, it certainly could be done. And right now, when particularly those who are vaccinated are told we can be in person inside and that is safe, I do not for the life of me understand why we are not doing this live and i had one other question just going back to the topic that celeste and you talked about regarding law enforcement uh this past weekend this is something that you know i've been weighing how i actually feel about this but this past weekend uh heritage of pride announced that they were banning the uh, gay cops from participating in the main march even though i believe this year is supposed to be virtual uh, but banning them through 2025 saying they could not participate uh stressing that many members have uh felt awkward or have felt threatened by police in the in the past what do you make of that decision to ban the gay officers action league and corrections from participating in the main lgbtq march very concerned about that decision because you know they are members of two communities at the same time they are members of the lgbtq community they they want to celebrate that identity very publicly uh and they should be allowed to do that so if you're just joining us once again, uh, we are speaking with Catherine Garcia. She is candidate for uh, mayor of the city of New York. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. So I wanted to ask uh, a 
broader question uh, about the role that gender has played in this campaign. Certainly, I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with uh, one of the other uh, top tier candidates, Andrew Yang, having uh, said rather repeatedly that he would love to have you in his administration. And you have said that is sexist and, uh, you know, that that's cool. But thanks. Uh, d- does this mean he can't be in your administration or uh, what's new on that? <laughs> Uh, well, he stopped saying it of late. Uh, it is first and foremost, as a candidate, it's presumptuous to presume that you are building an administration till you actually win. Uh, and secondly, I think he just made the case for me to be mayor. Let's cut out the middleman and I'll, I should just do the job. Uh, but there is, there is, from his perspective, oh, I can just have you do the work. I mean, women get this all the time. You just do all the work and I'll take all the credit. Um, I, I, it's time for that to change. It's time for a woman to lead in this city. So that's, that brings me to my next question very conveniently. So thanks for the segue there. Um, do you think that know. people should, <laughs> should, should people uh, factor in uh, the fact that you are a woman? when they consider voting for you or should every candidate be uh be judged purely on their on their track record and on their positions uh you know a, a lot of people including andrew yang and i did ask him this question when he was on the program have said that the city is overdue for uh, a woman mayor uh my question to him at the time was then why are you running instead of supporting a woman <laughs> but you know all right you know every, everybody uh, everybody the gets their their crack at this but you know should people care whether we have a woman mayor, should we just vote for the person that, you know, matches our our vision for the city or, uh, you know, the skills required for the job? Every every voter has to look into their own heart about what they want the next mayor to be. Having the woman's perspective in that office, I think, is truly important. I've been a working mom. I've I've been asked to, you know, have 14 hats at the same time. Uh, and make sure that I did lunch. Um, that is a lived experience uh, that most men don't have. Not all men, but, you know, most. Uh, and having that be a lens that you look at makes it so you make policies that you know are going to impact people and, and center the impact of policy on women and girls. Uh, but you have to, people are also going to vote based on uh, what, who do they think can actually do the job uh, and has the policy framework to achieve what they want to see, which is a more livable city, a city where things are more affordable, um, a city where their kids are going to do really well. Uh, you know, they need to get back into school. So as we we are drawing closer and closer to uh to the actual uh day of uh day of reckoning here uh you know there have been some stories written uh about how uh, a lot of people are very impressed with you and you are many people's uh, second choice or third choice uh you know given the amount of time that we have uh are you concerned at all or how concerned are you uh about people knowing who you are and what you've done uh, we are having uh, a real movement and change the momentum in this race. You know, the endorsement by the New York Times, the endorsement by the Daily News, the polling that is coming out post those is really shifting. Uh, so we feel really good about where we are. Uh, we are peaking when we need to peak to take this race. And we've got just about a minute left, so we don't keep you much longer. I want to thank you for joining us today, but I want our listeners to have, you know, just take away one more, uh, one more thing about you because there have been so many forums. We're in the middle of the debates. A lot of what even the, you know, uh, questions we're asking, topics you've weighed in about. There's, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, break major news here today, but I would love our listeners to know in the coming weeks as we get closer to that June 22nd primary, if there's one thing you want want them to take away about you and your campaign, what would that be? The one thing I want you to take away is you know that I will work hard for you every single day to make it so that you have a more livable life in the city of New York uh, because that is what I have done and that is what I have achieved. I've got the track record that shows it and we really need to have someone who's walked the walk as, as a New Yorker. Catherine Garcia, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. So you've been listening to WBAI New York. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons with my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And I have to say something that the candidate just said, Catherine Garcia, a few minutes ago. It's basically how Celeste and I work. Uh, work. She does all the work. I take all the credit. <laughs> so, 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 but I will say she really planned this show today, knowing I was having a busy week. And I really have to, you know, I'm very eternally grateful to her because here on Driving Forces, not just Catherine Garcia, but we've been able to have a number of other candidates on here, including Andrew Yang, Eric Adams, Diane Morales, Sean Donovan, and Scott Stringer. And we hope to bring you more of those interviews in the run-up to the election. Absolutely. And the way we can do that, this is a very good point before we get to our next guest. This is a great point to remind you that uh, WBAI is a listener-supported, commercial-free station for more than 60 years. We've been your go-to for independent, non-commercial, free speech programming. So please go to WBAI.org. Join the WBAI family as a BAI BAI buddy in the name of your favorite show today. Maybe it's Driving Forces or maybe it's Jeff's other show, City Watch. Uh, support radio you can trust. Go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. You can give a tax-deductible donation in any amount. If you prefer, you can also uh, choose from a number of gifts. We have some great archival material from uh, figures uh, really diverse. Malcolm X, Harvey Milk, Irving Berlin, Pete Seeger. Lots going on there. So so WBAI.org is the place to go. Please join us. Keep listener-supported, non-commercial free speech programming alive, especially in these interesting times. And there is a lot going on in New York to talk about. So a little bit earlier, as Jeff mentioned, we had a conversation with Catherine Garcia, candidate for mayor of New York. And women in politics is a topic that's interested me for a very long time, both as a reporter, uh, specifically as a staffer, at, even at a women's magazine. Um, I was working at one of those magazines when I covered the 2018 midterms. And at the time, there was a lot of talk about how that was going to be the new year of the woman. Record number of female candidates running, winning across the country. Um, while I was researching some of that stuff, I also learned a lot about some studies that show that women still face really significant barriers when seeking public office. And one of the people who helped me with that reporting at the time was Amanda Hunter. She is now executive director of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation. And the foundation works to increase women's representation and political equality. And they study the role of gender in politics from a lot of different angles. So happy to uh, welcome Amanda Hunter. Hunter of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation to the program. Glad to have you on BAI. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So I gave a tiny little uh, uh, thumbnail there, but you know, maybe like a, in a few sentences, tell us about the foundation. You know, what should listeners know about what kind of work you do? Sure. Well, our founder Barbara Lee started doing this work more than twenty years ago, which at the time people didn't recognize the importance because she really noticed that women face unique barriers, especially when they seek executive office. At that time, only 16 women had ever served as governor in the United States, compared to more than 2,300 men. And we specifically researched dynamics for women seeking office and the obstacles and opportunities they face, but then we provide practical advice for overcoming those barriers. We really try to share our research as far and wide as we can, and all of our polls are nonpartisan. And it's wonderful to meet you. Uh, you know, I talked, I've talked about this several times on our show before because right before the pandemic, I had in studio Caitlin Moscatello, who had written the book See Jane Wynn, The Inspiring Story of Women Changing American Politics. And we talked about the number of challenges that women face. You just put out a new memo called Putting Sexism in Its Place on the Campaign Trail. Can you talk a little about that and what women can you know, can or cannot do about it. Absolutely. And I think overall, this was very good news. As Celeste mentioned in 2018, everyone was calling that the year of the woman, a record number of women were elected. We saw a record number of women elected to Congress in 2020. We've seen such an overall shift around the culture of women running for office in this country. And this study showed that a majority of voters see sexism in politics as a problem for everyone, 
and not a weakness for women. The fact that a majority of voters said they believe that women face sexism really reflects that sea change of the awareness that voters have. And what was really interesting to us is that voters are generally very supportive of women candidates calling out sexism that they experience. And we've certainly seen that a couple of times in the New York mayor's race. And what I think is so fascinating is that conventional wisdom has often been that silence is the strong response, and especially generationally. I know Secretary Hillary Clinton has talked about in her career just kind of being quiet and ignoring sexism. And we found that voters actually want to see women speak out and see it as a leadership test that women can pass. So it's good news for women on the campaign trail because they really, in some cases, only have a couple of seconds to decide if and how to respond. That voters are open to a strong, calm, and professional response. So if you're just joining us, we are speaking to Amanda Hunter of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation about women in politics and uh, some of the progress that women have made, but also some of the challenges that they still face. And Amanda, I wanted to ask you on, on that note about some research that, that I thought was very interesting, that, you know, this uh, distinction that uh, the foundation has made in the research about the difference between perceived strength and perceived toughness in campaigns when it comes to women running for office. What is the difference there? Absolutely. Well, women candidates, and especially when running for executive office, have to satisfy both gender stereotypes because they have to show that they're strong enough to be commander-in-chief. But if they don't maintain feminine stereotypes, then they can be perceived as too tough. And being too tough then jeopardizes their likability which we know from our research is a non-negotiable for women candidates. Oftentimes, likability can be thrown around as kind of a sexist term, but we know from years of research, and we've studied this a few times, that voters will vote for a man that they do not like if they believe that he's qualified, but they won't vote for a woman if they don't like her. So it's actually essential. And toughness is seen as a political trait, but mostly associated with men. So women can demonstrate strength by doing things like standing up for themselves, answering tough questions from reporters, and having a strong debate performance. And what's interesting is you're speaking, I'm also reflecting on how when I was a daily reporter, how I would cover women and men who were running for office. And I read when I read stories, certain, you know, language that media will use, I will see a sexist thinking, why are we, you know, this is minor, maybe it's not minor, but why are we commenting on what a woman is wearing while she's, you know, in a debate versus what the man, man's wardrobe is? Little things that really show how media are portraying women running versus versus men. And, and you know, can you just for our listeners talk a little about what they may not recognize that you want them to look for so they can actually be be paying more attention to when sexism exists? Absolutely. And you bring up such a good point that everybody still has their own inherent gender bias and racial bias, frankly, too. And there are such long held stereotypes in this country about what an elected official should look like, because for hundreds of years, it was dominated by older white men. And so when people make comments about a woman, maybe not shaking someone's hand after a debate, for example, or for expressing anger about the way that she was treated, I often ask those people if they would say the same thing about her male opponent, if he were to do those things. And usually the answer was no. I mean, when we can all think of some male politicians that might be a little gruff that people have described as, you know, adorably grumpy or something like that. And a woman <laughs> would never get away with being grumpy, much less be lauded for that behavior. Yeah, you know, that's uh, that's interesting to me. And, uh, you know, the the different ways, the different standards by which people are judged based on their gender. Uh, one of the other points in your research that I thought was super interesting was that women apparently have an advantage in, in perception with voters when it comes to being ethical and honest, that people will sort of give women a leg up there. But 
if they mess up, it's much harder for them to come back that, you know, maybe people are less forgiving or less understanding. Is that is that still the case that women are judged differently when they are accused of wrongdoing? Because we've had people being accused of, of misconduct or missteps, uh, both male and female candidates, including in the mayor's race right now. You're absolutely right, Celeste, and it sounds like it would be an advantage for women that they are put on what we call an ethical pedestal. And I actually think it has roots back in the suffrage movement, where the argument was that if women were allowed to vote, then they would clean up politics and make it less dirty. And now the expectation is that women are up on this pedestal. And so if there's even an accusation of dishonesty or any kind of ethical breach, especially early in a campaign, it can be incredibly damaging for a woman because she doesn't just have to get up off the ground after she takes a hit. She has to climb all the way back up onto that ethical pedestal. And we've seen that as a tried and true tactic in campaigns involving women for years. So you are listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we are speaking with Amanda Hunter, Executive Director of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation. I'm curious, this past year has been uh, incredibly challenging for anyone who wants to run for office, who is seeking office, rather, uh, and I'm curious. Because of the pandemic. And have women faced certain challenges? Uh, you know, I don't know if they do. Uh, do they face different challenges amid this pandemic? You know, or or is it just the same as before? Well, definitely the pandemic has added a layer. And we did a study on how voters respond to women leaders handling a crisis. When we did research in 2019, Handling a crisis was actually a top indicator that voters look for when evaluating a woman's electability. So they really want to know that a woman is able to handle a crisis. And although the types of crises that leaders may encounter may vary widely, there are common threads when it comes to what voters want to see. And what's really important right now when it comes to women leaders is that Voters want someone who listens, not just to experts, but also to impacted communities. And they want someone that's a team captain who ultimately takes responsibility and acknowledges that the buck stops with them, but that has a team around them. And voters know that women are dot connectors and multitaskers. And so in a lot of ways, there are benefits for women when it comes to looking at crisis leadership, especially when you see that for the past year, Women mayors and women governors have really taken center stage across the country with their leadership through the multiple crises that they've had to navigate. So, Amanda, we just have a few more moments, but what are you guys working on uh, for your upcoming projects or what are you watching right now in politics? Well, I think what's so interesting about what you all are watching, too, is that for such a diverse city in New York made up of more than 50 percent women and more than 60 percent people of color, there's still never been a woman mayor. And we often talk about how there's an imagination barrier sometimes that if voters don't see a woman in the job, they just simply can't picture it. And you've also never had a woman governor either. So hopefully by seeing multiple women in this race and seeing that when you have multiple women, there isn't a token woman. She doesn't have to represent her entire gender and that women can disagree sometimes and then also agree with each other other times. It will give voters a more intense dimension of what a woman looks like on the campaign trail and try to break down those stereotypes. And this year, we're looking at how women can run as incumbents and how women can defend their records because Voters don't really like it if women seem defensive. So I think it will be really interesting to see the results of that study later this year. And if people want to look out for that study or read any about any of your other research, Amanda, where should they go? Thank you. They can visit our website, which is BarbaraLeeFoundation.org, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And our tag is just BLFF underscore org. Amanda Hunter, Executive Director of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today. Thank you so much. This is great.
So you've been listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, you, uh, your hosts today are Celeste Katz-Marston and her adorably grumpy co-host, Jeff Simmons, <laughs> because I'm the one who's usually grumpy. So, <laughs> And it's not true, Jeff, that I do all the work. It is fair and square. And sometimes you definitely do more than your share. So I uh, just want to get some uh, reality check for uh, all the good people out there in Radio Land. Jeff Simmons is a hard worker. For sure. And uh, and that's why you should support his show by going to WBAI.org and becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces or City Watch, which is Jeff's other program because he is very, very committed to the station, does two programs uh, among the many, many other things that he does for work and uh, volunteer service as well. So WBAI.org, your gift is tax deductible. Please give as generously as you can. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are commercial free. We are relying on you. So if you're within the sound of our voice, uh, please help us keep going for another 60 years. WBAI.org. And we are going to open up the phone lines now. So give us a call about anything you have heard today or any other topics that are on your mind. The number, 212-209-2877. What is on your mind about the race for mayor? Have you made up your mind? Did what Catherine Garcia say resonate with you? Also, what Amy, uh, what Amanda Hunter just talked about, did that resonate with you? 212 209 2877. Phone lines are now open, so start dialing. We will be right back in a few moments to take your calls, but we're going to take a brief musical break. Reggie? is you too with New York here on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. Celeste and Jeff here with you until just about 6 p.m. And at the top of the hour, we heard from mayoral hopeful Catherine Garcia. Then we heard from Amanda Hunter of the Barbara Lee Family Foundation talking about women in politics. So what is on your mind today? Have you given any thought to uh, who you're going to vote for in the mayor's race or which people you're going to vote for in the mayor's race? We have new ranked choice voting system. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Glad to hear that people are already calling in. So we're going to go to our first caller, WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi. Talk up a little bit so I can hear you and so everybody in Radio Land can hear you. Okay. Yes. How you doing? This is Jeff Simmons. Um, this name is Christian. I'm from Parkchester. And I was, hey, Christian. I was, yeah, I was, What's on your mind today? Yeah, I was going to reflect back on after hearing uh, Mr. Amanda Hunter and, and um, 
on the mayoral candidates. Um, yeah, Catherine Garcia, Lance, yeah. Yeah, Keisha Lance Bottoms, right, and this thing, this, this got me so disgusted, who was the mayor of Atlanta. She tried to do the right thing when when that scoundrel, I think uh, the governor of, um, of, of, of Georgia, Greg Abbott, he wanted to, to do away with the mask mandate. That was around the time... Um, I think um, Texas was going through a COVID tsunami. And she just wanted to do the right thing. She wasn't ready to open up everything right away. And the governor steps in and threatens her. Okay? This is something that, I mean, women in politics go through every day. If you look at someone like Sonia Sotomayor, she's from the Bronx, from the same borough I'm from. That's right. You know that she, she, knows, you know that she goes through a lot of... Um, scrutiny because of a physician. And I personally think that it's time for a female mayor. Why? Because of Giuliani. The only credit I give Giuliani was, was you know, New York was clean. He cleaned up New York in the 90s. But he was insensitive towards um, people of color. And all the stuff he's doing now, you know, aligning himself with, with you know, with, with Trump and all that. And, and, you know, they seized his... Um, his belongings. The guy is an ex-mayor, and he's getting caught up in all this nonsense. Yeah, not a uh, you know, perhaps not a, a shining moment for uh, yeah, for the the history of City Hall. But Christian, one more thing before we hop to the next it's caller: Have you decided which person you're going to vote for for mayor? I don't. I don't care who it is. I mean, Eric Adams. Remember, he's a former police. You know, and there's a lot of skepticism with him catering towards the NYPD. But I think it's time for a female mayor. I mean, it, this is getting ridiculous. It's 2021. It's time for a female. It's time for a, 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 a Hispanic or African American female mayor because they are the fabric of, of, of the city, of the five boroughs. I hear you. Thanks very much, Christian, for your call. We really do appreciate it. Going to try to. We wish you could stay on longer. We're trying to give as uh, as many people time as we possibly can here today. So we're going to go to our next call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, you're on the air. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? You got to turn off your radio. You're on the air. Okay, and also 9-11, guys. Do the science. 9-11 was a scam. Come on. How do buildings disintegrate? How does Building Seven all Okay, okay. Oh. Well, thanks. I think we're uh, I think we're going to stay on stay on target here. We're not going to get into uh, into uh, revisionist history here. But go ahead, Jeff. Oh yeah, and before we get to this next call, because I know we have other calls on the line. One thing, as soon as he mentioned that, I forgot we didn't mention it at the top of the show. For those of you who have not been paying attention, and we know BAI listeners do pay attention, if you the, the minority of you who do not know this. Rudy Giuliani's son has announced he's going to be running for governor here in New York State. So I'm curious if you want to weigh in on that, too. Uh, the number, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. So, Celeste, what was your reaction when you heard that about uh, about Giuliani's son saying he's going to be running? Hey, look, uh, you know, it's, it's a free country. If people are qualified to run, they can run. Uh, this country does have, uh, does not have a history of monarchy, but does have a history of political dynasty, certainly. Uh, so I'm not terribly, uh, shocked to see the, uh, the sons and daughters of, of prominent people, uh, get involved in politics here. Yeah, I also, you know, and I would love our listeners to hear your take on this. And if you are listening and you are a female candidate who's running for office now, I'm curious if you've been encountering some of the sexism and discrimination that uh, women have traditionally faced in seeking office, things that Amanda Hunter talked about. But uh, Celeste, one of the other challenges that women candidates have faced has been in fundraising. Now, I know Tish James, for instance, our state attorney general, has talked about this in the past as well. I'm really curious, you know, having looked at uh, campaign finance records recently on a number of candidates to see how much they've raised towards the matching amounts here in New York City. You know, there are a a very high number of women candidates who are running for all offices here in the city right now. But I'm curious if you feel, you know, that this is a common pattern, too, that women face challenges in fundraising. 
Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, obviously this country has uh, a history of, uh, of uh, giving advantage to male candidates and for that matter uh, to male voters, uh, not, uh, not really being able to uh, vote until a uh, hundred or so years ago really does make a difference in uh, who is perceived as having power and who is not. Uh, women have had to play catch up, uh, although uh, certainly not a, a question of people, uh, women not being interested in getting involved. But we would definitely want to hear from uh, from you out there. 212-209-2877. If you can't get through right away, keep calling. 212-209-2877. We're going to go to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, this is late. Uh, I am concerned about the fact that uh, Scott Stringer, uh, I I was, uh, now I'm debating uh, between Catherine Garcia and Scott Stringer, mm-hmm. because I was, wasn't convinced uh, when uh, 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 that woman, <laughs> I must say, uh, uh, came out against him. Uh, I'd heard somebody uh, else, and I can't remember the circumstance or just what, but saying that that uh, uh, that his what he was doing, he his his uh, act was that was absurd. Okay, and yeah. So so has a very good reputation. So have you? So you've made up. Have you now made up your mind uh, who you're going to vote for? Well, that change. That's the thing. Since, since I I I've read uh, the the things that uh, Catherine Garcia had said about had had done, but I was I had my mind made up before uh, uh, that woman uh, said something against Scott Stringer, uh, and uh, then when he, she, he was exonerated, I still. I was very glad that I had. I, I actually uh, was uh, not in favor of someone else coming in for governor. Also, I'm the kind of an old school kind of person. I'm in favor of, of the First Amendment. I, I think that that's over everything. Okay, well, not you know, and that and that sounds right. And thank you very much for your call. We we do appreciate it. And uh, you know, in case you uh, somehow were uh, out to lunch and missed it, I think that uh, you know we're we're talking here about the allegations of uh, of sexual impropriety or harassment against uh, Scott Stringer. He has denied those charges. Even has said that he would welcome an investigation. Uh, but uh, you know, it's very interesting to hear from you know from people who say that this is making a difference in uh, in their views of the mayor's race. And I do want to flag one thing uh, that, you know, if you're looking for context, there's been a lot of reporting on this. Scott Stringer has been vehemently denying this. Uh, but I would recommend something that we've talked about briefly. I know it came up when one of our callers, Russell, I believe, had called in last week to check out online the story on The Intercept that looked into uh uh, look into the situation. I will call, I will say it that way. And, you know, raised a number of questions about the, uh, uh, about the allegations in that case. So I'm just saying that it's something worth reading. Uh, I always, as Celeste knows, I try to consume news from myriad sources. Anyway, we've got a few callers who uh, are waiting to get in here. We've got a few minutes left. So let's go to the next call. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Hi, you're on the air. Caller, listen to the phone, not to the radio. Hello, is that me? Hi, you are on the air. What's your name? Yes, Rebecca from Brooklyn. Yes, um, this Giuliani's son running is ridiculous. No experience, and that's what I thought about Yang when he ran for president out of nowhere. He's admirable in his campaign tactics and his style. He brings enthusiasm, which was what I think brought Ronald Reagan in. But I resent people coming out of nowhere. I admire Meyer Wiley. Yes, we need a woman or a person of color, but it should be a progressive person. And uh, the other woman, Diane Morales, I believe, who is a progressive. Um, what's his name? Um, the Brooklyn Borough President. 
Eric Adams. He's a little too conservative for me. He wants to bring back some of the police forces that did great damage. But I do admire him for being out in the campaign, before the campaign. He is a very hands-on person. But uh, And Scott Stringer, I thank you for mentioning that article. I've known him in the past. I think he has a good record. I don't know how strong he would be in this. But, uh, so, that's my choice. So thank you. And also for bringing up Maya Wiley. Now, I do want to point out it's not on our website yet on the homepage, but I, we, Celeste and I, were told that Maya Wiley will be on WBAI sometime this Saturday. Not sure which show yet. So if we find that out, we'll also be tweeting that out because we like to promote the other shows on WBAI. But that's a reason to also make sure you tune in to WBAI on, uh, on Saturday. Thank you. thank you so much. So let me go to the next call because We've only got about two or three minutes left. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. Nope, Briefly nope. tell us. Uh, no, nope, we don't have that call right here. So, Celeste, what do you want to talk about? Okay. Well, uh, first of all, yeah, I just I definitely want to thank our guests. Uh, we had a candidate for mayor, Catherine Garcia, and we also had Amanda Hunter, executive director of the Bar Relief Family Foundation. But, Jeff, you have a program coming up on City Watch this Sunday. What do you got? Yeah, it's interesting because nearly every elected that I want to get on our show, I want to talk to them about the issues that are happening, but they're also running for office again. So this Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I've got Queensboro President Donovan Richards on. We're going to be talking about what's been going on as far as crime in the city, but also our COVID recovery and our economic recovery. And then New York City Council Member Francisco Moya, also of Queens. It's a Queens show, Celeste. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to also talk about uh, the city's recovery, but about uh, the as we move ahead, what the city really needs to do to provide, to support our workers, our workforce, to support immigrants, and to uh, ensure a better quality of life as we get back to, air quotes, as normal as possible. Right. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, get your vaccines. Uh, find out more about vaccines. Research it. Make the right decision. Uh, and while you're on the Internet, just another super quick reminder that you can always go to WBAI.org and consider becoming a member of the BAI family. We're happy to be able to uh, present these conversations and these Q&A sessions with candidates for mayor, for other important public offices. But we can only do that with your help. This is non-corporate non-commercial free speech radio are us you know we've been on the air now for 60 years help us going for another 60 go to wbai.org and become a bai buddy in the name of your favorite program please give as generously as you can we are a 501c3 and your contribution is tax deductible so just go to wbai.org and click ways to donate I want to thank our guests one more time candidate for mayor Catherine garcia and amanda hunter executive director of the Bar Relief Family Foundation. Special thanks, as always, as always, to our engineer, Reggie, who's who keeps this show going. You don't always hear his voice on the air, but sometimes he jumps in with a helpful hint. Remember, if you're calling into the radio, turn off your radio, talk into your phone. I want to remind you, if you missed any part of the program today, it will be archived right after the program on WBAI.org. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and more. So stay tuned to WBAI, Celeste Katz-Marston, and Jeff Simmons signing off for now. See you on the radio.